Well, you may be seated. At this point, as you guys know, our Cactus Campus is going to join us for our time in the Word, as well as our chapel and our venue, and so we want to welcome them. And uh, if you check out our uh, website at all to see uh, what's happening with the preaching calendar, you know that today we have a special day here at our church, so let me explain. About four years ago, uh, when I was burning out with all the stuff going on here at our church, especially during Winter Wonder Week, I asked Tom Schrader, who's a dear friend of our church, to come and preach and help me with the Christmas series four years ago. And uh, it became kind of a, a tradition. The next year, I thought, well, hey, it worked out great having Schrader here, so would you do it again? And then the following year, hey, it worked out great having Schrader here, would you do it again? And it became a little extemporaneous tradition to have Tom Schrader join us in December here, second week, for our Christmas series, no matter what it is, because uh, he's an amazing Bible teacher. And so this year, as Tom and I were talking, I said, well, I'm, I'm, my energy's high and all that stuff. I'm doing great, but I, I think the people love having you, and I think you like being here. And so we agreed to have Tom come uh, again today. Now, for those of you who are newer to Scottsdale Bible Church or visiting, I got to tell you uh, what you're in for today. Uh, Tom Schrader is a, a dear friend of mine, a dear friend of Scottsdale Bible Church. He has been a pastor here in the Valley for almost 40 years now. Uh, Tom was a businessman about 30 years old back in 1980, and he uh, was not interested in church or spiritual things. And as you'll hear a little bit today, God blindsided him as he's done with some of us, and and he had a radical conversion to Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing story because he still wasn't all that interested in church at that time. So, uh, he, he, But he loved to teach the Bible. So he started Bible studies in places like bars and community centers and things like that. And it even went from Phoenix to Tucson. And before you knew it, literally hundreds of people back in the 1980s were coming to hear Tom teach the Bible when he was still a commercial real estate agent. And at one point, somebody even said to him, hey, why don't we sing songs at your Bible study? And Tom's got a great sense of humor. He said, well, because it's not a church. If you want to go to church or want to sing songs, go to church. But this is a Bible study. And he started thinking, well, maybe we should start a church. So in the early 1990s, Tom started a church called East Valley Bible Church. And under the Lord's leadership, the thing grew to over 4,000 people under Tom's leadership. And most people in the valley who've been here a while know of Tom Schrader. Tom handed his church off to six or so millennials about 10 years ago. Real gutsy move. They grew that thing even more. Now it's called Redemption Church and it has over 10 campuses here in the valley and uh, we work with them on a regular basis with some projects. Uh, Tom continues to preach the word of God. He's gotten a little bit older. He's struggling with some health issues. I was reminded of the verse in 2 Corinthians that says that though outwardly we waste away, inwardly we are renewed day by day. And that is true about Tom Schrader. He, he, he's lost some weight. He's still struggling with some health issues. But inside, you'll hear today, his love for Jesus, his love for you is stronger than ever. So kind of like if the Browns were to win the Super Bowl, let's give it up for Tom Schrader being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
I appreciate that so much. I, uh, it, it's such a treat to be here. This is like a home game for me. I, uh, people at Scottsdale Bible have been so good to me over the years, and for Sandy and me to be here today is an absolute treat. I need to address the fashion statement that I'm making. Um, I'm not trying to prove that I'm hip, uh, though I am. Now, uh, yeah. I, uh, I had some different health issues, and about three or four months ago, they started working on the top of my head, and there were some growths, and we were back and forth, and about two or three weeks ago, and these are one of those things, because you make them out, and then everybody runs out and say, he's going to die tomorrow, and then you're mad when I do your funeral in 20 years. And then, and so it goes both ways. So I'll just give you the facts. So the doctor said to Sandy, there's a very aggressive cancer on, a, on his head and we need to cut it out. So they did and they cut it and biopsied it, tested it, cut again, cut again. So in the top of my head, there's about a, a, a three inch in diameter hole through the scalp down to the skull. So it lays exposed, and it has to be covered up. And tomorrow morning at 7, I'm having a surgery to fill in the hole. Now, this is kind of interesting. They fill it with shark cartilage, and then they fill it. I don't know. They fill it and do something, and then in three weeks, do a skin graft. So uh, many of you know Dr. Travis Hokum. Uh, if you see him out having a beer somewhere today, send him home. Uh, he, needs to get, he needs his rest. So Travis is going to do the surgery tomorrow morning. So that's why the hat. Okay? And, and uh, you know, I, it's, a, it's a distraction for about this long because we're going to get right at what's important. And that's our study in, if you have your Bible, in the Gospel of Luke and the second chapter, I'll have the verses on the screen and try to go back and forth uh, through the morning, make some points. Our focus is on joy, which has been your kind of season-long theme, year-long theme, really, through Jamie's book and then here at the church, and then as it relates today to the shepherds. So we'll look at that. Let's read this come back, make some comments, and see if we can tie it all together. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And you would assume that. I mean, you would think they would be. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior, whose name is Christ the Lord. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly... There appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lie in the manger. When they'd seen this, they made known the statements which had been told them about the child. And all who heard about it wandered, wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. So that's the passage. If we were to pull a key verse out of there, it would be verse 11. For today, in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I guess really, in essence, that's the whole Christmas message as part of the Christmas story right before us, that it's the birth of a Savior into this world. It's one that they had waited for for centuries. They had waited so long and were reminded that this Messiah was coming, but he never got there. Who knows what their frame of mind would be? One author suggests they were weary. They were filled with despair. Let me give you a little background. Chapter 2, verse 1. This chapter begins with, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabitants of earth. Now, I don't know why, but for me, this verse just takes me back. It's, it's, it's what I remember growing up of the whole Christmas story. I was born and raised Catholic grade school, high school, college. So we were very familiar with this story. And it would seem we would always start, and it would only be appropriate now, with this verse. In preparing for today, knowing that the story is familiar, but wanting to go deep and say, is there something there that, that, that's new to me and may or may not be new to you? I, I did some study on the idea of Caesar Augustus. The king was called uh, Augustus. He was referred to as the savior of the world. He was considered a god. His, his birthday was marked with special celebration that was identified as the good news. The Pax Romana. Rome had brought peace to the earth. It's against that backdrop that now comes a new king, the real king, the real peace on earth. It's a time when there was a census being taken. A census would remind the Jews that they were a dominated people, that Rome was in control. 
They had searched and thirst for freedom. And, and, and this, it's that setting that we see the story before us. Verse 8 of, of Luke 2. Same region, there's some shepherds. And their shepherds are doing what shepherds do. They're out in the field watching their flock. The status of a shepherd in that economy was very low. They were uneducated, unskilled. They were over time more and more and more a marginalized people. When the Jews were nomadic, they were a valuable occupation. But as now they'd become grouped in agriculture, they, they were more and more almost a despised group. They were not allowed to give testimony in, uh, in a court of law. We're told in Genesis 46, 34, that every shepherd is a detestable person to the Egyptians. They were deprived of all sorts of civil rights. They were viewed as incompetent. It's to those people that the angel appears. Beyond all of that, by the way, because they're dealing with these sheep 24-7, they could never get ceremonially clean to be welcomed into the temple. Now, I am sure that on this day and in this passage all over this country that people will preach, marginalize people, and then have you fill in the gaps and they'll go to those among us who are hurting, who are depressed, maybe, maybe immigrants. But it's, it's bigger than that. Jesus comes for all people, and all people are marginalized in God's economy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's who Jesus came for. Those that are poor in spirit. That's all of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Poor in spirit. The idea of poor there is not like a beggar, like you might see down on the street. Hey, man, you got any spare change? And I'm always saying, I don't don't know. All my change is accounted for. I don't have spare change. I, I, I got it all committed. Okay? These were people who who were so desperate, they wouldn't even make eye contact to ask. They would would beg. They'd cower away. That's us before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are spiritual. That's not a very attractive picture right there. Wow. That is... I just got a shot of that. I, sorry. Well, they, they built a platform out, you know, for the Christmas program, and now I've got extra space, so it's got me confused. Here's what I want you to see about these shepherds. They're just doing what they ordinarily do every day. They're just working this third shift. They're out with the sheep, mundane, ordinary. That's where God works. 
I did a talk years ago called Mastering the Mundane. We, we want to live on those mountaintops, but that's not where we live. We live in the ordinary, everyday, third shift. And God, I believe God works in our life that way. I look back over the years, and so many of the significant moments in my life were never on my schedule. It was a knock on the door, the office that said, hey, have you got a minute? Or a phone call. Or somebody at the store. Or a golf game, where all of a sudden you're waiting on the group ahead of you, and somebody says something, and here launches this incredible conversation. These guys are just going about their ordinary job, verse 9 of Luke 2, and an angel suddenly, quickly, stood before them. The glory of the God of the Lord showed around them. Imagine that. Ordinary, mundane day, and here comes the angel of the Lord, and he shines, God's glories revealed, and they were terribly frightened. That would scare you, surprise you. And the angel said, don't be afraid. It's the most frequent prohibition that God gives us in the entire scripture. Don't be afraid. It's verse 10. In, in this case, it's this setting, but it's to all of us in all time. Don't be afraid. Not because it isn't scary out there, but you know something. You know the good news. The good news is not Caesar. We could substitute anything in there. The good news is not the Republicans or the Democrats or the deal closed or the the. I don't know, pardon got granted, the skin was clean. The good news is of great joy, and here you go, it's for everybody. This is a time of year in church where people come and visit, uh, sometimes not even know exactly why. It's kind of what you do at Christmas season. And that might be you here today. I look around a lot of familiar faces. But I'll bet there's some of you who are here, never been before. You came because somebody promised you if you can endure uh, a message, I'll buy you lunch. You know? You're visiting from out of town and you're just stuck. They only have one car. <laughs> Seems unlikely at Scottsdale Bible Church, but you never know. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I've got good news. This is the same do not be afraid that the angel spoke to Zacharias and to Mary. Don't be afraid. They were frightened. Here's this angel. If that happened to us, we'd say, I need to check my meds. <laughs> Maybe I took too many or not enough. I, I, I don't know, but... This isn't normal, but it's real. It's good news. If you're here today in this room, this message is 
for you. It's for all people. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. It's for the rich, the poor. Jesus, as he's departing, uh, says to his disciples in Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. It's not just an American thing. It's not just a Scottsdale thing. It's a worldwide good news. Why? Well, because there's one thing we all have in common. We all have sinned. That's what's wrong with the world. The fundamental problem with the world is not economics or political. It's not educational. The fundamental problem with the world is spiritual. And spiritual problems have a spiritual answer. If you try to fix a spiritual problem with an economic answer, all you're going to do is create a vacuum that will suck everything in it that you'll put into it. You can't earn your way or spend your way to salvation. It's from Jesus. Well, here's the specifics. Verse 11 of Luke 2. For today, in the city of David, it's a real place. It's not Never Never Land. It's not Narnia. It's not some make-believe place. This is a real story in a real place with real people. Today, there's born for you, do you see it? A Savior who is Christ, the Lord. Those are key words. Let's highlight them. Savior. Jesus came that he might save his people from their sin. I, I don't know if you are aware of it or not, but you need to be saved. I, anybody who's reached the age of 12 understands something's wrong in the world. And then pretty soon you realize it's not just the world, it's the country. It's not just the country, it's the state. It's not just the state, it's Maricopa County. It's not just the county, it's your zip code. It's not just your zip code, it's your address. It's not just the other people in your family, it's you. And what's wrong is sin. That's what's broken. You, you, you're in danger. You need, the way the Bible described Jesus, you need to be redeemed. You need a savior. I, I moved to Arizona in 1975. That seems like forever ago now, doesn't it? Think about, I'm trying to think who would have it. Gerald Ford was president. 1975, and I'm, I pull up to a Circle K, and there's an old Volkswagen bus there, and on the back is a bumper sticker that says, I found it. It was during the time, that I had no clue, of Campus Crusade had an I found it campaign. So this kind of scraggly looking guy, kind of smelly, Kind of like me, now that I think about it. <laughs> Comes out, gets in the van, and I walk over and I, 
He roll, rolls down the window. I said, what is the I found it? What is that? And he said, I don't know, man. It's my brother's van. <laughs> so, it almost worked. It made me curious because if I lost something, I, I, I'd like to find it. it if I'm in jeopardy, I'd like to be saved from it. Jesus comes along and he's the savior, your rescuer, your redeemer. He's the Christ, the anointed one, the one they've waited for for centuries, the Messiah. He's the ruler, sovereign, mighty one, everlasting father. He is the real deal, not a fake Caesar. That's why Jesus said, I've come that you might have joy, have it abundantly. You might have peace, not peace as the world gives, but real peace. That's who Jesus is. Isaiah wrote about him and, 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 and writes these words, Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's him. That's the one we've waited for, we've longed for. That, that thing that's missing is never found in a person, place, or thing, but only in Jesus. Now, I did not print, it's my fault, I didn't give it to them, so there's not a slide for verses 2 or 12 and 13 of Luke chapter 2. So let me read them to you. You have them in front of you. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. The angel said to him, I'm going to give you this sign. Told you it's in the city of David. You'll find this child wrapped in clothes in a manger. And then there's a shift from singular to plural. There was an angel, and now there are angels, a multitude. The word, though we can't nail it down specific, probably means thousands of angels that appear. And they're not, we get this picture of them singing, you know, like with wings, we never hear they have wings, but with wings... And they're, and they're chanting and they're singing. One author that I read said that these angels, when they surface and appear, they're as warriors. It's almost more likely that they're around doing a war chant. That's part of this praising. It's intense. Here's what they're saying. Luke chapter 2, verse 16 or I'm sorry, verse 14, glory to God in the highest. You sang about it as we worship this morning. Glory to God, praise him and him alone. 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, this is, and I don't think I said this first service, it's a bad habit that I have, and, and so I've tried to correct it, but I'm tired, I'm sick, so I'm going to give in to it. This is a big thought. This is a key point. Okay? That verse is in the King James. When you get your Christmas cards, this is typically the verse that you see. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Here's the verse in the New American Standard. Peace on earth, goodwill is, is among men with whom God is pleased. This is not a universal proclamation. This is not a universal God is pleased and peace to everyone. This is not about that fallacy of the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. This is a declaration of peace toward people with whom he's pleased. Well, who's he pleased with? Well, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, therefore, having been justified, how? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the peace is found. It's found through faith. That's not our natural condition. So let's drive home that point we've made. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, he demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for while we were enemies, we're reconciled to God through the death of his son. While we're helpless, sinners, enemies, while we're estranged from him, in that moment, God moves. God rescues us. God saves us. We're justified by faith, not by being in church, not by baptism, not by pedigree, not by Bible study, but by faith, by that simple moment, that transaction. Some of you could point to a day and time. Others of you, it was a spiritual evolution. You just all of a sudden, arrived at the spot where you understand that you were lost and now you're found. You were in jeopardy, but now you've been rescued. There's this moment where you say, I'm a sinner. I understand it. The, the reality of that sin is that it separated me from God. But now Jesus moves. You're going to sing about it somewhere in the next three weeks. Somewhere in the next three weeks, you're going to sing the line, God and sinner, what? Reconcile. Humpty Dumpty fell off a wall, had a big fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. They had a better shot at getting Humpty and Dumpty back together than getting your heart right. You can't fix it. But he did. 
while you're helpless. Look at how God, look at how big God's love's getting. While you're helpless, while you were an enemy of God. I remember meeting with a guy one time and non-believer and he's trying to play church and I said, you hate God. He said, I don't hate God. I said, you hate God. He said, I don't hate God. I said, you hate God. He said, I kind of hate you right at this moment, <laughs> but uh, I'm all right with God. No, you're not. Sometimes we mask it with religion, but we don't want the real God. And he overpowers us with something called grace and brings us into his family. So that I have, and look at the sequence now, I have peace with God. That's established. And now, once I have peace with God, I can begin to have the peace of God. Something happens in my life. I, I love reading biographies of conversion. Old guys and not so old. There's a, a guy, his name was Harold Hughes, not Howard Hughes, Harold Hughes. Anybody ever heard of Harold Hughes? There has to be a few. Maybe not. Okay. There weren't any at nine o'clock either, so you're, you're fine. <laughs> Harold Hughes was a drunken truck driver who is uh, one day, and he writes in his autobiography, a man from Ida Grove. He's an Iowa guy. He goes into the bathtub with a shotgun, because I'm always fascinated by it. He doesn't want to leave a mess. So he goes to the bathtub, puts a shotgun in his mouth, and is overwhelmed by what he realizes is the Spirit of God, and God saves him. And he talks about that night, he has his first full night's restful sleep in years and years. And that story is repeated over and over again of people at conversion. Because I have peace with God, I then have the peace of God. And I can begin to have peace with myself. I, I still have the struggles and the confusion and the uncertainties. But, but I pray about everything, worry about nothing, and the Bible tells me the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will occupy my heart. And I can now begin to have peace with others. S sitting in this room, I'm sure that there are amazing stories of reconciliation. Marriages that have been put back together, families that have been restored, bosses and workers who've been reconciled. It all flows out of this. God reconciles us to himself, but that's not the end of the story. Second Corinthians chapter five, Paul said all these things, all these things we've been talking about are from God, who and the word reconciled or some version of it appears four times in these two verses who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And that's not the end, that's the beginning. Then he gave you a ministry of reconciliation. Namely that God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
So that, verse 20, so that in verse 20, you're an ambassador for Christ. You, you go around. When, when, when Neil's talking about, here are these cards, invitation to Christmas Eve. This is a tool, just one, that you can use to say to somebody, I want you to hear this message. It's a message of reconciliation. You're God's ambassador. My friend Larry Wright used to say it this way. Our title is very impressive, ambassador. Our job description, not so impressive, slave. It's this idea of reconciliation. You go into the world. You're his representative. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 17 come into a town, and I, and I, I didn't look it up. I think it's Thessalonica. doesn't matter, really. They come into this town, and the opposition rises up and says, here are these men. They've turned the rest of the world upside down, and now they're here. And the implication is to do the same thing. They were ambassadors with a ministry of reconciliation. That's you in this world that we're in. You go into the world. You go into the world, and what you have is the Word of God and the Spirit of God to communicate to people who need a Savior and a Lord and a Redeemer, and they may not even know it. You're the vehicle that God uses. You're the vehicle that you, God uses to turn the world, not upside down, but, but right side up. This is that time of year where you have all those snow globes, and I love them, I love them. Shake them all up, and there's stuff all flying all over, and then it settles down, and you shake it all up again. That seems to me to be a perfect metaphor for the world we live in. It's shaking it all up, and there's stuff all over, and kind of settles down, and then it shakes it all up with a tweet again, and then we shake it all up again, and it's just constantly all in, a, in this state of confusion. And in the midst of that, okay, this is really important now, okay? If we were in junior high camp, this is where I would say to you, look up here, okay? Look up here. It's not that the circumstances straighten out. Your circumstances, I can guarantee you, are going to go like this all your life, your whole life. Some deals are going to close. Some deals are going to blow. Some relationships are going to work. Some are going to flop. Some scans are going to be clean. Some aren't. But in the midst of that, there's a steadiness that comes from understanding God and who he is. That, that the world may feel like it's out of control. It is out of your control and mine, ours, but it's not out of his. And that's what the Christmas story is all about. So the angels in verse 15, the angels have gone to heaven. And the shepherds say, let's go check this out. So they go to Bethlehem, and they find Mary, and they find Joseph. I'm not sure how. I'm I'm sure they didn't Google Mary and Joseph. (laughs) But it's a relatively small town. The birth of a child would be a big thing in that day and age. And to pinpoint this child would be, be really easy because I'm 
pretty sure he'd be the only kid in town in a manger. This is the one. And so they go. They discover him. Verse 17, they had seen this, and they said, here's what we saw. They told him about the child. And everybody who heard this was amazed. They began to wonder about it. That's what the gospel does. I remember when I heard it for the first time and really got it and really understood it. It just shook my world. So simple. 1980, God God saved me in March of 1980. And so 1980 was the first year that I sang Christmas carols understanding what they meant. I sang joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth, not earth, take out, cross out earth. Tom, Tom, you receive your king. Peace on earth, mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. Mary heard these things, verse 19, pondered them in her heart. And then verse 20, what do the shepherds do? They've had this amazing moment. I've talked about mundane. This day started out as ordinary as could be. And they had a visitation of an angel. They had a multitude of angels They go and they see the fulfillment of all of this. They had an amazing day. And when, what did they do? Back to work. They went back. They glorified God. They praised him for all they'd seen and heard, just as it had been told to them. Those angels, that's your story and my story too. If we have an encounter with the true God, It doesn't mean we live on the mountaintop forever. It means we're slugging it out day by day. Back to the gym, back to Costco, back to the office, back to the house. Last week when Jamie closed his message, his take-home point was this. Joy is found not in our circumstances, but in the realities of our faith. This reality, Jamie quoted 2 Corinthians chapter 4, though the outer man is decaying. I I have evidence of this every day. When, When I hear an athlete say, I've lost a step, I wish I could say I've lost a step. I've lost the ability to step. Every day. I uh, shower, it takes me almost 20 minutes to take a shower now. Used to do it in five. And then I get out, and whoever laid out, designed our bathroom, put a full-length floor-to-ceiling mirror (laughs) right outside. This is not something you want to see. (laughs) Especially on a full stomach. This is not a very pretty sight. The outer man is decaying. I got a hole in my head. I'm going to have shark cartilage in there. The next time I see you, you're going to either think, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> or if you're a parrot head, fins to the left, fins to the right. It's going to work either way. 
But the reality is the inner man's renewed day by day. That's where our joy is. We're not driven by circumstance. In, in Jamie's book, he spends really the entire theme saying that our perspective needs to change. I need to begin to see the world not as I see it from an earthly perspective, but from God's perspective. And I can't separate, and we got to go, I can't separate Christmas from Easter. The whole point of Christmas is to have Christ born so that he can die and rise again. And we experience the victory of that. Pray with me, would you please? Father, thank you for this amazing truth. So much in that. Let us understand the the joy and the meaning, the reason of Christmas. And God, use that season to fill our heart. Draw us close to you. Let us be ambassadors as we leave this place with a message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray in his name. Amen.